title I've given this morning's sermon is Christians Live Among False Teachers and Fallen People. Christians Live uh, Among False Teachers and Fallen People. Last week, uh, we considered that uh, God speaks and that we can be sure that God speaks because of his word that tells us the future before it happens because of prophecy. And because God speaks and uh, wants us to know the truth, and because there is an enemy of our soul, we uh, learned that he's not the only one speaking. Uh, the devil is also speaking, and this is true since the beginning. And uh, in the Garden of Eden, God spoke very clearly what the instructions were, and the serpent came and said, has God said? And uh, Satan's been saying those same words ever since. Uh, and in the Old Testament, they were called false prophets. Uh, in the New Testament, they're called false teachers. Uh, and these false teachers aren't teachers who teach something wrong on accident. They are teaching stuff wrong on purpose. <laughs> they, they know that what they're saying is not what God's word is saying, and they say it anyway. And they say it in contradiction to God's word. And so uh, at the end of that uh, short passage last week, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 2, uh, Peter said that not only will there be these false teachers, but that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth is blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, and for a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And he introduces this idea that uh, these false teachers will have an expected end. Uh, that's not new, and that uh, should be expected at least from those who are followers of Jesus' perspective. And so our uh, first point this morning is going to come from those first verses that we read congregationally together, verses 4 through 9, is uh, that... Oops. Get on the right screen here. There we go. Sorry. Uh, God will save uh, his people and judge false teachers. God will save his people and judge false teachers. Um, the reason why I had us read verses 4 through 9 is because it is basically one sentence. A very long, if you were in an English class and tried to turn in a sentence like this, uh, for sure your English teacher would hand it back to you with like red underlining saying, run on sentence, please rewrite. <laughs> and I want you to notice uh, that uh, the, the structure that's there, um, because he's going to say two things in an if-then kind of statement. Uh, the if-then statement will tell us that what God has done uh, tells us about what God will do. What God has done will tell us about what God will do. Notice there at the beginning of verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, and then verse 5, and, and then later uh, in verse 6, and, and so this, his sentence continues, verse 7, and, uh, he's just, he's giving illustration out of, after illustration, but the, the condition is if, get, if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down into hell or delivered them uh, into change of darkness. So if God did not spare the angels, that's the if. Then he's going to get to the then. Finally, in verse 9, he says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And so he has this conditional if-then statement uh, where the condition at the very beginning is assumed to be true, uh, where uh, these things actually happened. If God uh, 
has this track record. If God did this, and if God did this, and if God did this, then God will do these things. Uh, the structure is uh, God did these things in the past, and because of those past things that God has done, we can be sure that he will continue to do those things into the future. And so what God has done tells us what God will do. And so that's why we, we study not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. We read through uh, those scriptures because they tell us about who God is and what he's like and the uh, standard that he holds. And so, uh, again, uh, the if is if God did this, then the Lord knows how to continue to do it. If the Lord knew how to do it then, then he knows how to do it now. Uh, and the logical argument is there stated uh, its conclusion. And again, in verse 9, the Lord knows how to do two things. Notice the, the first thing and uh, what God has done. What God has done, uh, again, in verses 4 through 8, God has judged wickedness and wicked people. And not just wicked people, uh, fallen angels uh, is where, where he starts. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. Uh, and then also verse six, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash. And so he gives us uh, three different examples of how God judged wickedness in the past. And the first is with fallen angels. Uh, notice the verbiage that he uses around that. He says, did not spare, uh, cast down, and delivered into chains. Uh, so the wickedness of angels was judged by God in the Old Testament. The book of Jude uh, describes uh, a, the similar situation. Uh, and in the book of Jude, he says that they did not keep their holy habitation, uh, that these angels who were servants of the Lord at some point chose not to serve the Lord anymore. Uh, the Bible uh, describes uh, one-third of the host of heaven, that's the angels, uh, falling with Satan in Satan's rebellion against God. And so uh, it wasn't just Satan who's against God. There are uh, fallen angels. The Bible describes uh, those creatures as demons when they're at work in the world. And these particular ones, uh, God has already placed under some kind of restriction, rest restricted judgment. Uh, we could go down uh, that rabbit hole for a little bit, but the point that P Peter is making is that God judges wickedness, and the wickedness that God judged started even before the fall of man. It was the, with fallen angels, and God judged their wickedness, uh, but not only theirs. Uh, God uh, judged the ancient world during the time of Noah. Uh, it says the ancient world, Noah's time. Uh, the, the verbs that are there, it says, did not spare uh, they weren't spared from God's judgment. Uh, these uh, wicked people doing wicked things did not escape God's judgment. Also, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, condemned to destruction. And so uh, these places uh, filled with wickedness did not escape God's notice and did not escape God's judgment. Uh, though they were wicked for many years, uh, the time of judgment did come for them. And so uh, God has seen it, and God has judged it, um, but that's not his only point. Uh, that is not even his first point uh, that he makes there in verse 9. Uh, the, the second point he made there in verse 9 is that there is punishment for those who are unjust. Uh, for these false teachers, these false prophets, and those who follow them, there is going to be uh, God's judgment upon them. 
Uh, and that's not new information, just like it's not new information that there are false teachers or false prophets or serpents who say, has God said? Uh, none of that is new. Uh, and God's judgment of those uh, wicked uh, individuals is also not new. Uh, and then he adds to it uh, the phrase that he begins with in verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And so the godly that he describes there, uh, God has delivered uh, the righteous is Noah uh, in verse 5. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 6. Um, God's description of the world at that time was every uh, imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. Uh, and so that's the generation into which Noah was born, uh, and God delivered him. Uh, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God gave him directions. He followed those directions, and uh, because of that, he saved himself and his whole household with him. Additionally, uh, in Genesis 18 and 19, uh, Lot was delivered from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and in that passage in Genesis 18 and 19, uh, Abraham was uh, petitioning, interceding, praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and his prayer to the Lord was like, Lord, are you going to destroy the wicked with the godly? The question he asked in his prayer was, will not the God, will not the judge of all the earth do rightly? And then he said, would you destroy it if there was 40? And he's like, I won't destroy it if there's 40. Would you destroy it if there was 30? I won't destroy it if there's 30. And he bargains God all the way down to 10 because he knows that Lot's there and he's got his sons and daughters and sons-in-laws and uh, daughters-in-laws. And he's like, for sure there's at least 10 there. And, and the angel of the Lord agrees, if there's at least 10 righteous in, in the city, I will not destroy it. Uh, but you know how that story ends. It ends with the city destroyed uh, because there weren't 10 um, but the Lord didn't destroy uh, those who were righteous with the wicked. Uh, the Lord knows how to and discern between uh, those who have a right relationship with him and those who do not. Uh, he sees those who are his amongst those who are not. And God is discerning in his judgment in that regard. And so uh, what God has done in the past uh, is... Judge the wicked, save the righteous. Uh, if you live in a time that's wicked, and we live in a time that is wicked, <laughs> amongst people that are fallen and uh, who listen to prophets that are false prophets and false teachers, uh, this is good news uh, for those who live in those times because it tells us about what God will do. It tells us that, um, first, that the Lord knows how to deliver us who are godly out of temptation. Uh, one of... Uh, my favorite verses in the Bible that has lots of hope in it uh, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Uh, but God is faithful to provide with the temptation a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Uh, that's a promise not given to everybody, but that's a promise given to every believer. Uh, that the temptations that come to us with those temptations, uh, God is faithful uh, to provide a way of escape for us in the midst of that. And in this world, uh, as it increases in its own wickedness, just like it increased in wickedness in the times of uh, Noah and the times of Lot and those who they lived around uh, did not increase in their godliness. They decreased in their godliness. They increased in their wickedness. Uh, the Lord knows how to preserve those who are his 
in the midst of that. Uh, as crazy as that may uh, sound, uh, especially if you're uh, you know, watching the news and reading your Bible in the times that we're living now, uh, it's, it's comforting and good to know and to be reminded that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Additionally, the Lord knows how to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Uh, we can be at times like the prophet Habakkuk. Um, it's a short little three-chapter book in your Old Testament, Minor Prophets. Uh, Habakkuk is looking at the world around him, and he's like, God, aren't you going to judge? Like, there's even wickedness within your people. God, aren't you going to get rid of this wickedness amongst your people? And God's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it in a way that you don't believe. And he's like, no, I, I, I will believe it. Just tell me. And he tells him, and he's like, I don't believe it. <laughs> God's like, I know, I told you. <laughs> and he was going to use the worldly people to judge his people, to correct his people, uh, to redirect his and re reprove his people. And uh, God knew how to bring justice, not just outside of uh, his people, but inside of his people, to, to clarify and cleanse, uh, to discern, to deliver those uh, who were his, and to judge those who weren't. God will save his people and judge false teachers. He's going to do both. That's what uh, Peter wants us to be mindful of in this particular section. And then he goes on to describe who these false teachers are and what they're like. Um, because these false teachers live wickedly, but they also live within the church. False teachers live wickedly, but they live wickedly within the church. Um, these particular false teachers aren't uh, just false prophets who are seeking to find their own following outside of the church. Uh, their target audience is within the church. Uh, and he gives a very long description, verses 10 through 21, of what these wicked are like. Um, and I'm going to go through that in a kind of point-by-point -point summary because he gets uh, flowery with some of it. But uh, we're going to see what they are like. Uh, and what they are like is pretty straightforwardly, they are wicked. Notice uh, in verse 10, uh, and especially those, speaking of the false teachers, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust and unclean, uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, uh, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption, and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to, to carouse in, in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. 
These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, those uh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise uh, them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. For if after they, for if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again entangle themselves and uh, are again entangled themselves and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to the wallowing in the mire. Uh, so a very long, very robust description of what these uh, false teachers and those who follow them are like. But in, in terms of the false teachers, uh, he gives a half a dozen or so descriptions, and we're going to run through them quickly. Uh, verse 10, they walk according to the flesh. Also in verse 10, they are presumptuous and self-willed. Also in verse 10, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Verse 12 they speak evil uh, of things they do not understand. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, enticing unstable souls. Uh, verse 17, they are wells without water. That means they promise life, but they do not have in themselves the ability to give it. Uh, they promise liberty, uh, but they cannot give it because they don't even have it themselves. They are slaves to uh, sin. Uh, verse 19, verse 21, they know, they knew the way of righteousness, but they have turned from it. And that's our first hint from where they're at, is that they, they knew the way of righteousness, but they have, they never received it. They, they knew what they ought to know in order to have a right relationship with God, but they didn't take it to heart. It only ever lived in their head. And instead of uh, allowing God to be their Lord and their master passion, uh, they have many other passions. And all of those passions are worldly passions, uh, whether it be uh, sexual desires that are unbridled, whether it be the desire for money, whether it be the desire for exercising authority. All of these things were the things that brought Satan down, the things that uh, bring anybody down. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives uh, advice and counsel to kings. Uh, three things they were supposed to keep themselves from. Uh, they were supposed to keep themselves from amassing wealth uh, and uh, just collecting as much money as they possibly can and oppressing the people to get all the money they can uh, because uh, the pursuit of money would not express the love of God in their lives. Uh, he also told them not to multiply wives and uh, explore their sexual desires, and that was common among, amongst the kings, uh, and to not do that, and it would not be good for them. It would not be good for the people of God. And he also told them uh, not to take God's place and, and the glory and to raise up an army and to have this strength uh, that was independent from the Lord. 
they were supposed to, and as kings, they were supposed to make themselves a copy of God's word and read it daily, and then also not pursue the things that all of the other kings in the world pursue, glory, gold, and girls. And false prophets and false teachers pursue those things. They make their ministry all about those things, whether it's explicitly and they're asking for dollars every day, they're on a stage, or it comes out in the news that they've been sleeping around or that they're, they want a huge platform so everybody can see them and it's all about their glory and their strength and the influence that they have. And it's not that those things can't be used in redeemed ways, but their life is wrapped up in those things. It's not characterized by God. It's not characterized by a pursuit of God. It's not characterized by a humility before God. We will recognize false teachers and those who follow them by their wicked lives. Their lives will show what their love is, and their love is not the Lord. They may have the word of God in their mouth, but what's in their heart is worldly things. In this description, he also tells us where they're going to go. Uh, so where are they going? Well, they're going to perish is what they're going to do. Uh, he says so much in verse 12, they will utterly perish. Verse 13, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, the book of Romans tells us that the, the wages of unrighteousness is death. The wages of sin is death. What we earn, what we deserve, if there's justice in this world, is death when we sin. And they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. They're sinning and coming up with new and uh, fantastic ways of sinning. <laughs> and, and that's what they're doing. And they're, they're, they will, in the future, not only utterly, utterly perish, but they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 15 tells us they've gone astray. In verse 20, it says that their latter end is worse for them than the beginning. These false teachers aren't without God's word in their life. Uh, they're just without it ruling in their life. Uh, they have it, but they use it like a tool to extract what they want from the, those that they gather around them. Which brings me to my final sub-point of false teachers live wickedly, and it's here that we see that they're within the church. Where are they from? Where are these false teachers coming from? Well, they're in the, and I put the, the air quotes there, church. And what I mean by that is, uh, not, they're not actually a part of the body of Christ, but they are within the four walls of the building of the body of Christ. Uh, and Jesus said that there would be false teachers that would come up. Uh, the Apostle Paul warned those uh, church leaders in uh, Ephesus that there, there would be false teachers that would rise up from among them, that they would be wolves in sheep's clothing. Notice how uh, Peter describes them here in this passage in verse 13. He says that they feast with you. So on Wednesday night when we're eating food together, they're eating food together too. That's, they've come in to partake with us, to pretend to be among us. Uh, verse 15, it says, they have forsaken the right way, which means they've come to hear and understand the truth of the gospel, that there is salvation in Jesus. They know that. They have not partaken of that. They have forsaken the right way, which means they're in the way with the right way. And it says specifically that they've fallen, fallen, they're following 
the way of Balaam. Uh, Balaam is an interesting character from the Old Testament. Uh, if you read through the book of Numbers, uh, there's a talking donkey, and it's not because donkeys talk or that God thinks that donkeys should talk. It's just when a prophet is speaking on God's behalf, decides to try to curse God's people, whom God just said he's going to bless, uh, but he was offered lots and lots of money to curse God's people. And so he's like, well, I'm going to go and just let's see what happens. <laughs> like he's hoping for a big pile of money so that he can curse God's people. And on his way, he's riding this donkey and the donkey stops. And it's because the donkey can see what the prophet can't see, which is uh, an angel standing in the path with a drawn sword <laughs> ready to kill the prophet. And the donkey doesn't want to be a part of that just in case, you know, it includes him too. So he, go he goes off the path. He goes off the path again, and then finally he's in a place where he can't go off the path. There's like a rock wall inside of him, and there's a cliff on the other side. He just can't move anywhere else, so he just stops and sits down. And the prophet uh, Balaam starts beating the donkey and yelling at it. And uh, if you have a pet, perhaps you've also yelled at a pet, not expecting to have a conversation, but you were so frustrated, like maybe it got in your way when you're trying to bring in groceries, and you fell down, and you spilled the milk or whatever. Um, whatever happened, he was... He was yelling at his donkey. I don't think he was expecting a conversation, but he was so mad that when the donkey talked back to him, it, he didn't even blink. He started arguing with the donkey. Uh, and this is how you know you're angry, is when you're, you're having an argument with the donkey. Um, but this is how you also know that uh, you're wrong, is he was losing the argument. And <laughs> this is a bad sign. Uh, God was using the donkey. He opened the mouth of the donkey. When it says the dumb donkey, he's not speaking of the intellectual level of the donkey, although I'm sure if you gave it an IQ test, it would not pass any level of IQ test. What he's talking about is the donkey's ability to speak. He was not able to speak. It was a dumb donkey. It was a, a donkey who's not able to speak. And he opened the mouth of a donkey to speak to the prophet, to restrain the prophet from going further so he would not die. And then he realized, like, God spoke to him and opened up his eyes, and he was able to see the angel with the flaming sword, like, ready to kill him. And he's like, oh, okay, thank you, donkey. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for the talking donkey. And God rebuked him, and he's like, if you say anything other than what I tell you to say, this angel will be there, <laughs> and that donkey will be able to save you. And so he got a very clear understanding, like, okay, don't say anything. And he... The, the guy who hired him to curse God's people, he ended up blessing God's people three times because he didn't, he didn't want to be killed by the Lord because he understood that he had an assignment to speak what was right before the Lord. And yet, on his way home, he said, well, there's a way around this. I can't curse God's people for you, but you can bring God's curse upon these people by sending your women out among the men. And that will bring God's judgment on him because he loves his people too much to let them get away with sin in their life. I can't curse them, but I will teach you how to make God's people under God's punishment. False prophet. <laughs> Knew the way of righteousness, sold God's people for money. Not new, still current. I know what God has said in his word, these false prophets could say, these false teachers could say, and yet I can tell you how you can extract money from them. When they look out, they don't see sheep, they see dollar signs. They see opportunities for sexual misconduct. They see 
glory where they can have a stage and have an influence. They are in the church. And notice what they're trying to do within the church. Verse 18, it says, They allure the ones who have actually escaped those who live in error. So they're, they're op- what they're looking for is us, those who follow the Lord. And what they're looking to do is to lure us away. Uh, if you go into uh, the meccas of fishing of our day, uh, whether that's Bass Pro or Cabela's, they have aisles and aisles and aisles of lures. <laughs> and all of them have two things in common. They're highly attractive to the fish that they've been designed for, and they have hooks. Uh, The false teachers of our day have two things in common. They have the things that appeal to our flesh, and those things have hooks. They're trying to draw away the body of Christ, and they're trying to draw them away from Christ. But they're doing it in the midst of the church. And to be unaware of that is unsafe. It'd be like being a sheep unaware that lions and bears exist and that they would come in and try to take amongst us. And so uh, they are here. God will discern and uh, separate them. Uh, And that's all of the verses that we want to cover this morning, but I want to circle back to uh, the two people that are mentioned uh, in our passage, back in verses 8 through 9. And we're going to look at them and examine ourselves And I want us to ask two questions. Where are you at and where are you going? Where are you at and where are you going? Uh, The first point, I feel like I'm belaboring the point, uh, should be clear at this point, is uh, God will judge those who are following false teachers, not living amongst fallen people. God will judge those who are following false teachers, not those living amongst fallen people. Uh, God will judge false teachers, as we've seen. Uh, God will judge those who follow them, is quite clear. Um, But both Lot and Noah maintained a right relationship with God, despite uh, the fallen people around them. Uh, Noah, the whole world, there wasn't a a state he could move from, or two, to get away from what was there. It's not like you could go from California to Nebraska and it'd be slightly better morally. <laughs> it was just bad everywhere. That was the description of the time. Uh, the time of Noah is described uh, throughout the Bible in a variety of ways. It was a time of great wickedness, a time of sexual immorality, a time of unnatural sexual sin, a time of demonic influence, a time of violence, a time uh, given to even uh, evil imaginations continually. Stop me when it sounds familiar. The standard of right and wrong was wiped out. Uh, according to uh, Jesus' description of Noah's time, uh, all of those wicked things were happening, and they ate and they drank and they married and they gave in marriage. And what Jesus' point in saying that was, was it was no big deal that all of these things were happening. It was no big deal that all of this wickedness was happening. To them, it was just like, yep, let's eat. That's the most important thing right now. Let's go get something to drink. 
let's get married and have a, a celebration. Let's give in marriage and have it. When's the next party? When's the next excuse to engage in whatever it is that they wanted to engage in? Similarly, uh, the time during Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, a little bit more poignant here for uh, Peter, he says uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah that it was uh, their sexual sin uh, that that was the issue. Both in Genesis 19, uh, describe it, uh, the men who came to see how wicked the city was and to deliver uh, those who were righteous there, uh, when they came to the city, the men of the city said, hey, we saw some new guys, send them out so we may know them carnally. It's ag aggressive <laughs> homosexual practices. And uh, Jude uh, says that there's a host of other sins. Uh, Ezekiel says, uh, describing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, he adds to that sexual sin uh, a whole host in Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, he says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She, she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did, not, uh, and did abominations before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So in addition to their sexual sin, uh, there was the willful oppression of the poor. Unnecessarily so. They had more than enough food, and they had poor amongst them. And instead of giving aid to the poor, they exploited them even more. The time of Sodom and Gomorrah, the time of Noah, is not too unlike the time we live in now. Uh, there's a movie that came out recently, The Sound of Freedom, which talks about all kinds of immorality that's happening just beneath the radar, but not so far beneath the radar to where there isn't obvious governmental involvement of some kind, where there's a lot happening in a way that's being unrestrained, where we have the power to do more and it's not being exercised as a country, as a government, in the same way of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the world around them was certainly wicked. The world around us, also certainly wicked. And I want us to consider where we're at in relationship to that because there are two individuals he gives us that we, we might be able to identify with this morning. Uh, they're both righteous, uh, but they, they had wildly different experiences in their interaction with the world and with their own family within uh, their righteous relationship with God. And the first uh, is righteous like Lot. Righteous like Lot. So Lot was righteous, and we know that he's righteous because three times in our passage this morning, he's called righteous. Uh, it says that God uh, delivered him a righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them, amongst them tormented his righteous soul. So Peter really wants to make the point that Lot was righteous. Um, if you read the Old Testament account in Genesis 18 and 19, it may be less obvious that he was righteous. <laughs> right? You read through the passage, when those men knocked on his door, give us the men that came that we may know them carnally. His solution was, take my virgin daughters and do with them with what you want. Righteous Lot? 
little less obvious. You can deduce from just the Old Testament, though, that he was righteous, in that God's judgment didn't come until Lot was removed. So even though it's less obvious, it is still evident that God counted him as righteous, but his behavior does not obviously seem righteous. Uh, his witness and his reputation amongst the people was uh, very weak. Uh, when he tried to tell his sons-in-laws that God was going to judge the wickedness of this world, they thought he was joking. That was his witness amongst them. Like, yeah, we don't believe that you believe that. We believe that you believe that that's a joke. When he said, God's going to judge wicked, the, the wicked, like he's going to do it today, God's going to judge it now, they're like, that's a good one, Uncle Lot, Father-in-law Lot. I don't, they, they didn't believe that he believed that what he was saying was true. And it was because of the life that he lived, and we know that in part because when he was told to hurry, he lingered. He took his time. It'd be like, if I told you the bomb, there's a bomb underneath the stage and it's going to go off in 10 seconds and I continue to preach. I don't believe that you believe that there's a bomb underneath the stage, <laughs> right? But if like I took off running and I'm like, there's a bomb underneath the stage, you're like, I may not still believe you, but I believe you believe it, <laughs> right? His actions and his lifestyle didn't coincide with the, the message that he was saying that God's going to judge this wickedness. Because when God told him to flee because judgment was going to come, he lingered because what was there was what he liked to look at, even if he did not participate in it. When he told those men at the door, hey, don't do this wicked thing because for this reason, what you guys are doing currently, God is going to judge this. They, they complained back to him. His witness outside of his family in the community was you're always judging us and telling us what's wrong. You set yourself up as a judge over us. He had like this moral superiority complex amongst them. And they, they discerned the hypocrisy between what he said and what they saw in his life. So like, you're just, you're saying these things and you're trying to make a power grab that God's going to judge. And, you know, we don't believe, we don't believe you. His sons-in-law, we don't believe you. And when it was time for him to get delivered, they literally had to take him out by the hand. If you have kids and you've gone down a toy aisle or a candy aisle, that, and for the same reasons. They didn't want to leave because what they wanted was right there. Like, no, now is the time to leave, and you take them by the hand and you drag them out <laughs> because you love them. And the angels had to do the same. And though Lot was delivered, he didn't take anyone with him. He lived in the world. He admired the world. He compromised his witness in the world. He got to go to heaven. The world around him didn't benefit from his witness at all. His family thought he was joking when he talked about the, the righteous judgment of the Lord because they, they saw how he lingered on the things that he said God was going to judge. The other righteous example we're given is righteous like Noah. Righteous like Noah. Uh, instead of being less obviously righteous, he was less obviously imperfect. 
it was easy to point out the faults of Lot, but Noah also had his own faults. He was not perfect. Uh, it didn't say that Noah was perfectly righteous and never did anything wrong. It says he found grace in the eyes of God. He was obedient to what God had asked him to do. But after the flood, he planted a vineyard, got drunk. It, bad things happened. <laughs> All right? He was not perfect. He's less obviously unrighteous. His righteousness came just like our righteousness comes, um, by faith, through grace. Believing what God said he's going to do and, and God following through with that, and then we, we are saved because of that. But his witness and reputation, uh, those who knew him best didn't think that he was joking. They just thought he was crazy. <laughs> like, no, what are you doing? Why are you building a boat? Why are you living the way that you're living, Noah? God's going to judge. Well, I don't think God's going to judge, but I think you think God's going to judge because I can tell by the way you're living, by how you spend your time, by how you spend your money. <laughs> I can tell that you believe God's going to judge wickedness. And I believe that you believe God's going to judge it with a flood because you're building a boat. <laughs> right? They may not have believed him, but they believed that he believed what he was saying. And the difference isn't with the wicked people on the outside. The difference with was, was with his family on the inside. Where Lot failed to bring anybody out, he didn't bring his daughters out. Two angel, the angels took the daughters by the hand and drug them out. And even though they, they took Lot's daughters out of Sodom, they didn't take Sodom out of Lot's daughters. What was in their heart? If you want to read some interesting scripture reading, read the end of Genesis 19 and see how Sodom, though it was destroyed physically, was not removed from the hearts of Lot's daughters. The difference is that Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. He was saved, but he took his family with him. And it's not because he moved far, far away from the wicked people or the fallen people. It's because he took seriously and his life showed consistently that he thought God was going to judge wickedness and that his life was informed by what God had said and he was doing what God had said. And like other people are going to look at you and like, he's crazy, but he believes what he's saying. <laughs> and there, there's two ways we can live. Um, when I was a junior high youth pastor, I got this question often. And, it, and I break it down into a uh, location versus destination question. Location versus destination question. I would often get a location question when the, the better question is a destination question. So the location question would sound something like this. Can I go see a rated R movie and be a Christian? Location. <laughs> Can I do this thing and be in a right relationship with God? And the destination question is better phrased with that same kind of ideas is going to see this rated R movie going to help me in my relationship with God? Is it going to draw me closer to God or am I going to have to walk backwards in my relationship with God? So say we were going to the beach and we're going to Santa Cruz and we all pile up in our cars and we're driving and somebody's like, hey, can we go to In-N-Out? Is In-N-Out okay that we, is it okay with that we go to In-N-Out location? Like as the driver of the vehicle, I'm like, that depends. Is it ahead of us or behind us? If it's behind us, 
No. <laughs> if it's ahead of us, sure. We are not going to go backwards just so we can go there. We're only going to go forward. And in your Christian life, as you pursue the Lord, there are certain things that will be in your life now that are okay now, that later on in your life, in your pursuit of the Lord, aren't going to be okay anymore. It's just the way it is. It's not that that location is bad. It's just not going to draw you closer to your relationship with the Lord. It might be okay for somebody else because they're further, further behind <laughs> and where they're going, it's still ahead. And so the, the question is, is this going to help me in my relationship with the Lord? Not, is it okay if I, if I do this thing? And with Lot, he did things that weren't helpful for his relationship with the Lord. He did things that were helpful for his cows to have grazing land. Uh, he did things that were helpful for him to view things that weren't good to view. Uh, the kind of questions I would get asked as a junior high youth pastor is like, hey, can I go to a party and still be a Christian? And I, I take him to the story of Lot. And the answer is yes. Yes, you can. You can live in the world, you can live like the world, and still have a right relationship with God, but your soul will be tormented <laughs> in the process. And what you're saying with your actions to the, the lost world around you is that your eternal punishment is worth my temporal pleasure. Because I'm going to make the message that I have been given unclear because I'm lingering when I should be fleeing. I'm not building the boat when God said build the boat. <laughs> Whatever it is that the Lord has commanded us to do and to be is going to coincide with the message he's given us to share. And you can totally be righteous like Lot and make it to heaven. You're just not going to take anybody with you. Because when they see you and they hear you, all they're going to see and hear is somebody who's got this moral um, complex of superiority. And all they're going to see and hear is somebody who seems to be joking. I don't believe you believe what you say you believe is what they're going to say, even though you may actually believe it, but they're not going to believe you believe it. And nobody's going to go with you. Noah, on the other hand, the door was open for everyone. He was a preacher of righteousness, not just with his words, but with his actions. He was living like God was going to judge. He was living like God was gracious and gave, gave instructions <laughs> that should be followed. And even though the world around him didn't believe what he believed. They believed that he believed what he believed. And his family came with him because they saw a consistency between what he said and what he did. So where are you at? And where are you going? And are you bringing anybody with you? My encouragement to you is it's not going to be easy. The world that we live in is fallen. You can start in California and move to some other state. It's going to be fallen over there too. It may be a little further behind the fallenness of where we're at now, but the whole world is, is not a good place. But it is possible to live faithfully to the Lord in whatever place you're at, because Noah was faithful. And he saved his family <laughs> in his faithful walk with the Lord, because there was consistency between what he said and how he lived. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite Max to lead us in a closing song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, that our righteousness isn't based upon our works. Lord, that our righteousness is based on your work. Lord, we're forgiven because you were forsaken. Lord, we're accepted because you were condemned. 
Lord, uh, we have our right standing before you because of the work that you've done. And yet you've given us a message to share. You've given us a life to live. And Lord, we pray that our lives would be consistent with the message that we have. That we know that you're going to judge wicked people. And Lord, you're going to judge wickedness. And Lord, uh, we just want the world to think we're crazy for thinking that. But Lord, we want the world to think that we think that that's actually the case because of how we live and how seriously we take your word. Lord, that our lives would be consistent with the message you've given us. Lord, that Jesus came into the world to save it. Lord, from the just judgment that is coming. Lord, help us uh, to live lives that are consistent with the message you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.